Well, hello and welcome to episode number 334 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. And in this week's show, it has been a bad few weeks for Boeing's 767s. Aer Lingus mulls over moving its transatlantic base to the UK. And there's good news as more airlines ditch their charge fees to encourage more people to fly. Woo-hoo. In the military, a US Navy E-2 Hawkeye crashes in Virginia with the crew safely egressing the aircraft and two very capable helicopters get some upgrades in Russia and the US. In this week's Plain Truths, we are talking window cracks and Jan Hubner shares with us the aviation in their life story. So joining me this week, as always, over in the P2K Master Studios, it is the incredible legend that is Matt Smith. What do you want? <laughs> what kind of a thing is that to say? Uh, hello, everyone. Hello. How are we? Well, are I was we? just thinking, Matt, you know, because it's nine years, um, literally nine years t- since we got married. Yes. And you were the master of ceremonies at our wedding. I know, I know. That was a very, very cool day, actually. I can't believe it was... Um, nine that years, really? Nine years. I know, it's crazy. It's How did so that crazy. happen? How did I know. that happen? So How are things for you, Matt? All good? Uh, yeah, 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 good. Not, not really a lot to, to sort of... Well, I, actually, I say not a lot to report, actually. Um, I, I, I've been driving coaches again as of um, this week, which is um, weird. Uh, in a good way, I mean, it's uh, it's a very different experience to what I've been used to. I've got to be honest with this, with all the social distancing and stuff in mm. there. I mean, I can. I mean, hats off to Lorraine. Did who, you come past here today? Yeah, 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 yeah. We all oh, came past here today. I yeah, missed. Absolutely. I missed that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's a it's a different experience. I have to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, say hats off to Lorraine for uh, if. You know, I don't think you can ever make anything 100% safe, but I mean, what you know, what they've been doing, obviously, to try and get get it as safe as possible. Basically, mm. it's uh, you know, it's been a, it's it's an experience. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, but uh, if I get it, it won't be through one of the measures that my boss has put in place. Let's put it that way. Well, I'm glad you're uh, there doing all the right things in the studio, Matt. It's always good to have you in good, control, good. as always. Thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, we're a bit stuck at the moment with this social distancing thing, because <laughs> if I'm know. not here, we can't even get on out, get online at the moment. But uh, I'm working on that. The he studio is, is that, nearly yeah. the studio is nearly remotely accessible. I know. It's I know. scary. Know. Scary. We'll have a drone in there next. So, what? back with what? us week... <laughs> How many back of those beers us. have you had? Oh, only one. Only one. <laughs> oh, so okay. back with us this week, and uh, it's good to have him back on the show again this week. He Obviously, last week, I think uh, he was uh, doing some tour of a, of a vineyard here in the UK, but he's back. It's Neville Bounds. I'd like to call it customer liaison uh, in a restaurant, <laughs> uh, which I did again last night, actually, uh, over in Stamford, Lincolnshire. But hello, everybody. Yes, great to be back on the show. And, uh, yeah, it's been... Uh, a busy couple of weeks for me, I'm pleased to say, on the one hand, because it's been quite hectic. Bit of flying going on as well, and a, a full A320 last uh, uh, Friday wow. from Edinburgh. I haven't seen that for a while, so that was encouraging. Although, unfortunately, people have forgotten how to get on and off planes. Uh, so that was uh, delay and frustration. But uh, we'll, we'll get there in the end, don't worry. <laughs> so I'm, ge- I'm guessing the whole uh, flying for work thing has 
gradually coming back for you? Well, we're allowed to fly within the United Kingdom, uh, mm. so we can't fly internationally yet. Um, but it also means that my colleagues in Dublin that I need to see are going to come to Belfast so that I can actually visit them because uh, that is still technically within the United Kingdom. Uh, but um, yeah, it's um, we're getting there slowly. But there's, as we've seen in the news, there's all sorts of weirdness going on with different rules and regulations for different parts of the United Kingdom as well. So it's very fluid, I would say. Well, thank you, Nev, for joining us this week. It's good to have you back on. I've missed Nev. We've missed I've him. Missed, missed him. And moving on to someone else, I think. Everyone has missed as well. We've got, we've got someone new on the show, haven't we? I, I, I know. It, he's, he's, he's someone who's been, he's been off for a few weeks, but we're so glad to have him back because he's a big part of the show. So uh, welcome back, uh, the guy who puts the P in PIC. Oh, it's Armando. You? Are you, dear, I, I'm so sorry, Armando. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that reminds me of a physiological response that us old guys have in the air also. You know, putting the P in... Um, oh, I oh, yeah, see. P-I-C. Right. P-I-C. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a de-icing <laughs> fluid, right? Yeah. Hashtag relief tube. Okay, lovely. Matt's uh, now busy Googling, what, what does P-I-C mean? What does P-I-C mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a bit scared to. <laughs> Pilot in command. Oh, I see. Matt. Right, okay, yes. lovely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Every day is a school day, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So how, how are things with you, Armando? It's good to have you, uh, good to have you back again with us. Yeah, as usual, it's... I'm really happy to be back, especially live. You know, I didn't get a chance to send you guys any video segments over the last couple of weeks, but it's actually been over two weeks, almost two weeks since I've stepped foot in an airplane. I've just been off handling some uh, family stuff, but uh, I go back to work on Sunday and as glad as I am to be back on the podcast live, I will be just as glad to get back uh, behind the control yoke of an airplane. Actually, Armando, uh, am I right in thinking it was a certain someone's birthday not very long ago? Yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday, yeah. (laughs) Yesterday was my lovely bride's birthday. Yes, And we celebrated with shuttling the kid around everywhere. So school, karate, grocery store. You know, it's very, very exciting. But we did celebrate with... Living the dream, clearly. Living the dream. And also, to be fair, as I say, because we were having our usual production meeting on a Thursday, Armando very kindly joined us for a little while. And so myself and John sang Happy Birthday, made Megan's ears bleed ever so slightly. Um, You know, A delightful rendition, I might add. (laughs) (laughs) You're lovely. You can come again. So, dare I ask, Armando? Come on, everyone wants to know what what uh, gift, birthday gift uh, did uh, did Megan get? Oh, from I you? don't want to know this because it'll be something really romantic and lovely, and oh. all men everywhere will just literally be like. How, oh. how big was the diamond? Oh, well, it was it was twenty eight inches by thirty inches, but it wasn't a diamond. It was actually a puzzle that you can get online made of all a pic, a picture collage collage she loves puzzles that's what she does to relax her mind so it's a pretty large family picture puzzle that's probably going to take her it would take me months to do it's probably going to take her about three days to do yeah but she's quite a bit brighter than you isn't she ah much (laughs) much so much better than me in so many ways absolutely oh man right let's move on (laughs) so we're gonna before we all get in trouble wait uh, we no, are no, gonna... we can't move on. Happy anniversary to you and John. Oh, thank, thank Aww. you, Frankie. Oh, thank yeah. you. Since we're on this romantic streak. Yes. I feel yes, sick. We... Can we move I on, know. please? I know. 
Oh, I, dear. I, I'm on no doing romantic things by getting puzzles and all that kind of thing. Carlos, having a, never have you done anything nauseating this week? Um, <laughs> no, I haven't, actually. I'm, I'm saving that for next week. Oh, why? What's, what's next week? <laughs> Hang on, what's, what's I, next week? I can't say, so, but I'll, I shall reveal all on next week's show. Oh, well, <gasps> there we are. Absolutely. Well, all right. <laughs> Slimy. Uh, yeah, Forget anything about aviation. Just tune in next week to yeah, see what Ned's going to do. Find out what that involves that about. Yeah, dearie yeah. me. Okay. Anyway, sorry, uh, Carlos. Do carry on. Um, Slimy. <laughs> it's, it's just so much going on. I know. We Where got, was we... all this in the show notes? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. As moving. As I, as I, in John's defence, he's not psychic. <laughs> all right. I thought he was. Yeah. Um, but, okay. Uh, anyway. Okay. So we are going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us uh, for the live show this evening, and just go through our the usual family members and some odds and and some extras in the chat room this week. We've got uh, Auntie Liz, Lane Street, Richard Adams. Uh, we've got Alex Robinson. Hello to you, Alex. Uh, Jenny in Rome. Hello to you, Jenny. Flyer 152. Stephen Howland. Uh, Neil Landborn is also in the chat room this week. Hello to you, Masha. Masha's joined us in the chat room this week. Uh, Richard Adams. Just want to miss Lane Street. We've got uh, Armando. It's always good to have Armando in the chat room. I've heard of him. Uh, Hello to Alan Loveday. Hello to you as well, Alan. Good to see you in the chat room. And good to see everyone in the chat room as well uh, this week who's joining us uh, for the show. And don't forget, if you are listening to the show as an audio podcast and want to see what crazy things go on in the world of YouTube when we're doing a live show, just go over to YouTube and uh, search for Plain Talking UK. And if you subscribe to us and hit the bell icon, which is right next to that, you'll be notified when Matt hits that stream button and we go live. So you'll be able to join us in the chat room and uh, find out all the craziness that goes on in there each week but without further ado it is that time in the month where we have some rather big humongous thank yous to say to everyone so nev what's going on yes well it's the uh, the part of the show where we thank all of our listeners that have contributed to it and this month uh, we have two new contributors they are from uh, nick codling and warren dixon thank you very much indeed gents we really appreciate that uh, it's on the uh, patreon uh, and uh, also there is uh, luis cachares uh, alan loveday nico regger uh, andrew van der sarg alan white stephen howland tanya wyman megan carrion uh, jacob darlington brown nicholas hewitt Owen Schmizu, uh, Reuben Wells, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Matt Caton, uh, Masha, uh, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Evan Chu, uh, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Myler, Philip Labe, Stuart Backer, Ray Williams, and Stephanie Plummer. And people that have donated via the regular PayPal system are Richard Adams, Mazouz Karim, and Jennifer Parkinson. Thank you very much to one and all for your fantastic donations. They really help uh, us put the show Yes, the they end. do indeed, Nev. And uh, obviously help with all the things that do with the show, as in the Libsyn and the website stuff and uh, all the other bits of sort of tech that we've invested in over the last few months. And uh, I think, Matt, we've got another piece of tech we want to invest in soon for the studio to improve things even more, haven't we? Mm, yeah, we're after a little bit of... We're after a new server that we're hoping we can use to get uh, a little bit of HD video 
in from our remote callers, which we're slightly excited about because we are now, thanks to your amazing support, uh, literally streaming in actual HD uh, as mm. of last week, which is very exciting. Yeah, so we're in actual high definition this week. Uh, as oh, we were for last week, because uh, the studios had a bit of a broadband update. Fiber arrived in Bungie this week, um, and uh, yeah, we've we've upgraded. We were we were one of the first on the list to, to get get the upgrade. So uh, very excited about that. Good news. It's uh, it's lovely. News. I've got all this bandwidth. I don't know what to do with it. So that's why we want a server now, so that we can do other do, do other sort of bits and pieces. We I say we were testing a new uh, HD platform last last week, weren't we? We were, um, and it was yes. yes. It sort of went kind of well. We just not quite getting it to do what we want to do so we've got to go and do a little bit more research but uh, yes we're, we're getting there it's exciting times good signs good time so uh just before we move on to the commercial just a quick uh happy birthday wish to laura who's celebrating her birthday today so happy birthday to you laura i know will is uh, looking after you and uh, i did help myself to some barbecue food earlier which was awesome so thanks for that and have a great day laura honestly somebody's <laughs> gate crashes somebody's birthday i know i know i'm terrible aren't i anyway come on before we start getting so told off we by are John. gonna start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the uk so if all the team is ready Yes, we are. Let's go. Ready to go. So, kicking off this week's first news story, and uh, it's been a it's been a busy week for the or busy few last few weeks for seven six sevens actually because um, they've been having some issues. So, this one is on the Aviation Herald website, Simon's awesome site, and uh, the uh, accident. This is an Omni Boeing seven six seven three hundred, and this was at Bucharest on August the twenty eighth. And uh, they had a left main gear collapse on landing. So the Omnier Boeing 767-300, registration November 423 Alpha X-ray, performing flight Oscar Yankee 703 from Kabul, Afghanistan, to Bucharest, with 49 passengers and 15 crew, landed on Benezia's airport runway 07 with all gear struts down at uh, 14.53 local time and locked. But at two seconds after the smooth touchdown, suffered the collapse of the left main gear. The aircraft skidded along the runway on its right main gear, aft belly and left engine cowl and nose gear lifted off the ground again and it then stopped, uh, came to stop on the centre line of the runway. Uh, the aircraft was evacuated via slides. No injuries were reported. And the aircraft was suppo- uh, supposed to continue on to the USA following the stop in Bucharest to refuel. So uh, Romania's AIAS, Civil Aviation Safety Investigation and Analysis uh, Authority, reported the left gear failed during rollout. And they also have appointed an investigation team to commission and then a preliminary report that can be expected in around about 30 days. Now, there were some pictures uh, on the site. If you take yourselves over to the Aviation Herald website, there's some pictures um, of the uh, the landing gear strut, which... uh, it's definitely uh, definitely had an issue there, um, mm. that's for sure. 
But um, there's also a few other ones on uh, with the 767-300. Another one was um, in LA, in Los Angeles. This one again, a Boeing 767-300 again. Uh, left main gear didn't extend. This one was a FedEx uh, one, a, fre a freighter version of the aircraft uh, on the 19th of August, which uh, had the issue with a gear. And there was also uh, a Kalita uh, 767-300 and Vancouver on August the 17th, which uh, had flaps problems on approach. And uh, they had some various warnings. They also had an uh, issue with the right-hand wheel well flap drive unit uh, on that one. But it's safe to say, I mean, all um, guys, I mean, the, you know, the 767 is an amazing aircraft, uh, one of the sort of biggest selling, I think, uh, Boeing aircraft, wide-bodied aircraft of its time. But it's had a few issues. But I will say, I think I looked at one of these aircraft. I think it was the, the Omni-Air one. I think that was over, it was over 24, 25 years old, that aircraft. But um, what do you think, Armando? Yeah, the Omni-Air is one of those uh, operators that does a lot of uh, U.S. military and U.S. government contracts. So it's highly likely that the 49 passengers on board going from Afghanistan uh, back to the U.S. via Bucharest were, were all military uh, folks redeploying from the combat zone. Uh, there was a similar incident. Delta had one on a 767 that had a trunnion failure, I think back in 1995, something like that. You know, it's like everything else. This is this just happens to be the trifecta with the 76s this week. But, um, you know, these airplanes go through quite a bit of, you know, cycles. And now that being said, the, the maintenance has very strict uh, inspection procedures and everything. But... You know, like everything else, it's it's a mechanical thing. This, from the pictures, it looked like it just snapped, you know, clear mm. in half. And yeah. and the video, which it's you know nowadays, it's great that we have video that surfaces just an hour after an incident happens. But the video doesn't look like it was any kind of extreme weather or crosswinds or anything like that. But um, you got to admit, you know, looking from the pictures that's probably one of those things that's unexpected and the crew managed to keep it right on the center line and, and bring it to a stop. So um, just, uh, you know, to say this, the, the naive uh, person in me here, Armando, obviously, cause it's like, I, I suppose in this, this scenario, obviously, you, I mean, obviously in the cockpit, you're very aware of the, the, the fact that something has failed, aren't you? I mean, that, that you know, it, the very fact that it's leaning to one side or whatever, when you, you, I don't suppose you'll be able to see the sparks and, and that, but you'll know that there's something going on. I mean, presumably in that scenario where normally you'd be doing things like reverse thrust and all that kind of thing, the first thing you're doing in the cockpit there is killing power to to the the engine, that, the side that's dropped and things like that, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it's funny because very few things are critical. Like, like you don't have to just bring it all to a stop. The engine's going to come to a stop. If you don't see sparks back there and you have 15 crew on board, uh, you know, if the airplane is still center line, it's still controllable. They're probably going to take their time to assess what's going on. Initially, I'm completely speculating here, but you know, they, they're going to feel something yeah. odd. The plane's going to try to yaw to the left side of the runway. They're going to be doing some kind of control input to keep it on center line. Yeah. And very quickly, they're going to realize that something's wrong. That there's, you know, it's interesting because there's probably not a lot of uh, indicators, warnings and indicators no. to, to indicate that your strut has broken in half. So you're, you're going to get indications from something else, which might lead you astray in your, in your emergency procedures. So judging by the engine, the, 
sitting on the ground, it might have broken a lot of the blades, it damaged the engine. So you're going to get some engine indications, something abnormal there before you ever realize that, oh man, my, my gear has collapsed. Um, but they, they would immediately, they're on the ground, they're on the center line. They probably did start um, shutting things down pretty quick. And as long as there's no, no fire, well, no yeah. visible fire, then, then um, they can take their time. This is the thing, isn't it? That's, that's well, the, I never uh, like to disagree with Armando because he is the, obviously the <clears throat> resident expert. But uh, when the landing gear collapsed, I don't think the pilot in command or the first officer would have said, oh my my gear has collapsed. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I agree with that. That's not the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, dear. I mean, what do you, what do you, I mean, yeah, it's just, I suppose there's, I, I guess it's, it's that. It's so rare. I mean, yeah. that, to have a gear collapse on a 767, that's, it would just be incredibly rare. It's it probably not the first thing they thought of. I mean, do, yeah. do you think there's a chance that there are some, um, you know, is, is it perhaps some um, aircraft age, a possible issue in the fact that... 1995, Matt. I mean, there's been three, but there's been three basically in the space of two weeks, two of which were gear collapses. I mean, is it just a massive coincidence? It's so hard to know. It, I, at this point, we can only say coincidence because this, we don't know that, that this gear trunnion is the one that came with this airplane. So it might have been replaced at some point. It might have been, uh, it might have come from another airplane at one of the inspections, especially at that age. It might be new and we don't know. So until they, they complete the investigation and, and you start getting some of these, um, you know, they'll start digging into the, the actual part numbers and where they came from and their lineage and who installed it. It's 20, 25 years old at Omni Air One. That was the um, one, the first story. Yeah. yeah, but that but that's one of the things I think one of the BA documentaries that we talked about a couple of months ago talked about well you know you the airframe is 25 years old but there are life limited mm. parts that get replaced at its you know throughout its life so we um yeah you know we don't know Stephen S in the in the chat room saying that the gear assembly is normally overhauled every 10 to 12 years so um and and even in an overhaul you may discover something that that says, well, instead of overhauling, we're just going to replace it. So hard to know until the in- investigation comes out. Yeah, mm, yeah, agreed. So Matt, moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is the Royal Air Force working closely with uh, Ryanair. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 one take on it. Certainly, okay, uh, it's. Uh, the uh, sorry, I, I was I was I was in the wrong place there, Carlos. You caught me a little bit unawares. I'll be honest. Anyway, the BBC <laughs> is the website, and the headline is Stansted Airport two held over suspicious device on plane released. Uh, two men arrested after reports of a suspicious device in a passenger plane's toilet have been released released without charge. RAF jets were scrambled to intercept the uh, louder motion uh, plane and escorted it to Stansted at around about 1900 BST on Sunday. Uh, Counter-terror officers detained two men, but after investigating, they discovered the object in the toilet was a mobile phone, although many questions there. We'll perhaps come back to that. The men are not considered to have committed any offences, the police said. A Ryanair spokesman said that the crew of the from of the flight from Vienna to Stansted had been alerted to a potential security threat on board. Typhoon jets from RAF Coningsby intercepted the plane and escorted it to the Essex airport. The Eastern Region Special Operations Unit said that the men were detained under Schedule 7 of the Terrorism Act, but in a new statement on 
on Monday, the unit said after examination by specialist investigators, the object was found not to be of concern. Uh, officers spoke with the two men and neither were considered to have committed any offences. Uh, the uh, detective, uh, detective superintendent Andy Waldy said that we understandably take any reports of suspicious objects or behaviour on flights very seriously and thankfully on this occasion there was no cause for concern. I'd like to thank those on the flight for their cooperation and understanding while officers conducted their inquiries. So, I mean, I, I guess after all this, it's just a, a scenario where somebody dropped their dropped their mobile phone in the toilet bin but you'd have thought that a they'd have known about it and b that they would have reported that they'd lost their phone in the in the toilet bin like to one of the cabin crew to retrieve it surely i mean so it's a, a very odd thing to just drop a mobile phone into a into a bin but uh there we go. Uh, that story, by the way, was sent to us by James Watson. Uh, and if you would like to uh, send us a story for us to uh, read out on the show, if you stumble across any uh, aviation-related news at all, please do make sure that you send it to us. Uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address. Or if you want to send it to us by WhatsApp, it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. I'll tell you what, we've had a few instances lately, haven't we, with these sorts of things happening, and it's mm. safe to say that the, the Royal Air Force are definitely having some good um, training um, you know, missions. Yeah, practice, I think, is the word Practices. we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, <laughs> Nev, there's, there's one here for you, actually, because it was actually a louder motion aircraft that, uh, that was involved, but the BBC just said Ryanair all the way through. No, mm. I know absolutely. Uh, the Independent also, which yeah. is what I've tried to get a picture. I'm try- I can't get the picture to come up for some reason, which is slightly annoying. But uh, there was a, uh, uh, there was a. <laughs> they actually, they when they covered it, actually put up a picture of the correct aircraft and everything. Like you know, it was even an uh, an A320. The you know everything was mm. correct. I mean, you'd have been very proud of the Independent, Nev. Yes, well, it's about <laughs> time we had some proper reporting, isn't it? Indeed, absolutely. Oh, so, Nev, moving on to the next story, and a, and a, a lucky green airline. Yes, it's on simpleflying.com, and it says that Aer Lingus is considering moving transatlantic services to the UK. And so the uh, airline is currently, uh, well, I think about moving its transatlantic Atlantic flights from Shannon uh, to the UK as it continues to grapple with the Irish government's COVID-19 restrictions. The IAG-owned airline has two new Airbus A321neo aircraft based at Shannon Airport in County Clare that would like to move to the UK. But uh, before the coronavirus grounded the planes in March, they used to fly between Ireland, uh, Heathrow and the US. According to a report in the Irish Times, the airline is considering moving the planes to one of six regional airports in the UK. Manchester in the north of England and Edinburgh in Scotland both want Aer Lingus to operate its Boston and New York flights from their airports. The other four airports in contention have not been named, but it's, it is believed that they are all regional gateways. The Irish Times reports that Aer Lingus contacted the airports that it was planning to submit tenders three weeks ago, and the airports replied with offers. It's now up to Aer Lingus to decide who to select. Uh, well, the Aer Lingus flight between the UK and the US are not likely to start until 2021 and will have the initial uh, contract period of three years. Aer Lingus pilots and crew will operate the flights and be based in the UK. Losing the Aer Lingus flights to a UK airport would be a massive loss for Shannon and to the west of Ireland, who rely heavily on tourism from the US. Uh, United Airlines and Delta have already said that they will not be flying to Shannon 
uh, next year. With the loss of Aer Lingus, it would leave American Airlines as the only transatlantic uh, Atlantic service operating out of Shannon. Uh, a spokesman for the airport operator, the Shannon Group, uh, said that they were in talks with Aer Lingus about resuming flights to America and Heathrow. He also pointed out that the flights were critical to business and tourism in the West and the South of Ireland. These and other services have been suspended due to advice against non-essential travel, and their resumption is among key recommendations of the Task Force for Aviation Recovery, which included a, a call for a stimulus package for airports in the region to encourage the rebuilding of traffic, the spokesman said. Now, Ireland has some of the strictest COVID-19 rules on people entering the country, with only some European nations exempt from a 14-day quarantine. The country's largest airline, Ryanair, has repeatedly called on the Irish government to relax the quarantine restriction. They say that many countries on the quarantine list have a lower infection rate than the Republic. Losing the uh, Aer Lingus flights to America and London from Shannon will be a big blow and is another repercussion brought on by the coronavirus. Assuming that the winning airport is Manchester, the move might prove profitable as Manchester Airport has a much larger catchment area. Last year, Manchester Airport handled more than 27 million passengers compared to Shannon's 1.7 million, a decline of 8% compared to 2018. Uh, well, that's going to be quite interesting isn't it, to see if they're going to uh, go ahead with that. Um, I have to say I'm still interested to see what it would be like to fly transatlantic on an A321. Um, mm. oh, they do it already. A couple of other airlines already do that. But... Um, Yes, I'd, I'd like twin arms. Um, but uh, it's interesting that um, it's also worth mentioning that Ryanair has warned that it will look to leave Ireland if COVID-19 travel restrictions remain in place. The budget airline says it will move capacity out of Ireland during the winter season unless the government's green list of countries deemed safe for travel is removed. Uh, the CEO of uh, Ryanair, Eddie Wilson, says uh, you can't do business for the quarantine, a 14-day quarantine. Uh, Ryanair has have insisted that they want the likes of the UK, the US and Germany added to the green list at the very least if they're to keep their fleet in Ireland. So currently anyone travelling into Ireland from any country not on the green list must quarantine themselves for a two-week period. This, Ryanair claims, is vastly discouraging travel and damaging business and tourism in Ireland. And I have to say I agree with that because mm. uh, uh, the way things have been going in the last uh, couple of months it's been pretty horrific uh, for that industry i mean I, I don't know what's the answer here i mean part of me understands exactly where everybody's coming from on this one i mean it's i don't know i guess the government are sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't in this scenario aren't they i mean it's uh yes and the, but having said I mean, there's that, a lot of inconsistency which i think is, there's a lot of that and adds think, a lot of weight to their argument doesn't it and also i don't think that they should have although there is devolved you know, government in the United Kingdom, I, I think that it would have been better to have had a single strategy for the whole of the United Kingdom, having rather than having different rules for Wales, yes. Scotland, Northern Ireland and the yeah. Kingdom. And of course, I mean, that, that's obviously something that here in the UK we're grappling with at the moment, isn't it? Because yeah. there, there is a little bit of disjointedness in the fact that um, I think uh, Portugal is one of the countries, isn't it, where uh, they're not on the, you know, Portugal's not on the UK, uh, you know, as in like England, no fly list, but I think it is now for Wales and and Scotland, isn't it, uh, as yeah. an example? But um, England and Northern Ireland have haven't implied any restrictions. I, I, I don't know. I suppose it would be a lot easier for everybody to deal with slash swallow if everybody was all singing from the same 
song sheet, but uh, mm, I can be more helpful. But we're not in that world, unfortunately. So. Uh, no, no, thank you. Make that they go along. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very so, much so. Next story is Armando's, and I think, Matt, if you were going to travel across the US, you'd want to do it on oh, this. Oh, would I? Oh, okay, all right then. Uh, loading the oh. picture now. <laughs> not just the US. Matt, if, if the 757 tried to kill you, this is the way to travel. Oh, quite. Uh, <laughs> AIN Online, the, Gulf, uh, the company Gulfstream is reporting progress in the testing program for its new flagship G700, completing more than 100 flights to date. The Savannah, Georgia-based aircraft manufacturer also conducted flutter testing and expanded the flight envelope at both low and high speeds. In early May, the company announced that a third airframe had joined the flight test program. So get this. The, it is powered by a pair of Rolls-Royce Pearl 700 engines. The G700 has an intended maximum operating speed of Mach 0.925 and a maximum cruising altitude of 51,000 feet. But as part of the test regime, the aircraft exceeded both, reaching Mach 0.99. Oh, that's very close. <laughs> at 54,000 feet. So the G700 will be able to fly at least 7,500 miles at long range uh, cruise of Mach 0.85, according to Gulfstream. Get this this is the opposite of A757 or the single aisle A321. Large cabin jet offers up to five living areas. The largest galley in the industry, a 100% fresh air cabin system, and an option for a master suite with a shower. So go over to Gulfstream, check out their uh, very nice website on this aircraft, and there's a little tool that you can play around with. If if I flew it from my home airport, you know, Bungie or something like that. Right. <laughs> flying a, G, a G700 from Bungie, you can almost reach Sydney, you can get to all of the U.S., most of Africa, all of Europe in, in you know, some serious style. And Mach 0.99 for a business jet, that's amazing. That's well done to these fast. guys. I mean, presume that would need to stop. If it was going over to Australia or whatever, it would need to stop and refuel at some point. Um, I think just barely. You know what? While we're while we're uh, talking about the next story, hmm. I will play with the tool and you will go uh, and investigate. See if, uh, see if we can get to Australia. I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's a lovely Matt. it's a lovely looking aircraft. Look, I, the only thing that worries me is it looks like it's actually going a bit all medieval there with its jousting stick on stuck <laughs> sticking out the front there. I'm not quite sure what that's all about. That's uh, the bird catcher, uh, right? Okay. And that po- is at that- Mach point nine nine, it would get so hot that you basically just get rotisserie chicken on the windshield. Nice. Nice. So you can eat when you land as well, which is a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's worth noting, if, if you get a chance, go over to YouTube and just check out the G700 on there. There's some really good videos of the interior. Honestly, Matt, you've got to see the interior on this really? aircraft. It is phenomenal. Is it? it is really, really nice. Okay. All right. When, yeah. when are we going? Well, I'll email, I'll email Gulfstream. All right. Okay. Lovely. All see right. what I can well, do. Um, uh, you're reading the next story, but how about you do you do it while <laughs> I'm reading the next one? There you go. You, you, I look forward to a full report. <laughs> so, the, you, moving on. Yeah. Moving indeed. on to the next story, and um, this one is on the global news. Yeah, we, we're actually gonna we're gonna uh, we've got a little bit of uh, audio that we're gonna play you first of Ooh, all, basically yes, on yes, the story. Yes. So uh, let, let's introduce this this story with some live ATC audio. Off the left side of uh, the tower, American 1997. We just passed a guy in a jetpack. <laughs> American 1997, okay. Thank you. Were they off to your left side or right side? 
off the left side, uh, maybe uh, 300, uh, 300 yards or so, about our altitude. Okay, American 1997, contact tower, 120.9 or 5, thanks today. 120.9 or 5, we'll see you. Southwest 6046 Absolutely. Uh, Honestly, so anyway, you, you've got the details, Carlos. So let's. Uh, <laughs> when I saw this story this week, I had to put it in the, in the uh, it show. It was also notes. sent to us by Richard Adams. I should stress as well. He he sent us the oh, story dear. as well. But uh, uh, yes, give us some details on it, Carlos, so, if you will. The uh, the story on on the uh, globalnews.ca website. Have you seen Iron Man or the Rocketeer cruising around LAX lately? If so, the Los Angeles Police Department and the Federal Aviation Administration would probably like to speak with you regarding their case of a mysterious man in a jetpack. Police, FAA officials and airport staff are still scratching their heads after two flight crews reported seeing a person in a jetpack near the LA International Airport on Sunday when he was allegedly cruising past aircraft at an altitude of 3,000 feet. Two pilots working for separate airlines reported seeing the jetpack-wearing man at 6.35pm on Sunday, according to ATC Control, streamed on the website liveatc.net. The FAA confirmed the two reports to Fox 11 in Los Angeles on Monday. The first report came from a pilot on an American Airlines flight 1997, which was approaching the airport on Sunday evening. And uh, obviously you heard the, uh, the ATC conflab there, but the air traffic controller can then be heard warning a JetBlue flight about the unexpected aerial visitor. And uh, it might sound implausible, but some jetpacks have been known to reach such heights. The Martin jetpack, for example, can allegedly reach heights of up to 5,000 feet. The Martin jetpack, for example, um, is, well, you could probably go and buy one of these on eBay, I'd imagine. <laughs> but uh, a New Zealand-based company designed and tested the fan-powered jetpack in 2011, but they're planned to sell the devices uh, for more than 100,000 US dollars. Never quite got off the ground. Most jetpack designs are safest to use over water, and some actually incorporate jets of water, while others use fans or jet boards to lift the pilot off the ground. Aviation expert Steve Cowell told Fox 11 that such a flight is possible, though not for long periods of time. He said that even the most technologically advanced jetpacks can only fly very briefly, he told the station, and this person may have gone up and then come down and then driven away. Former pilot Ross Almer told Fox that if the reports are true, everyone involved is lucky that the individual didn't get sucked into a jet engine. Mind, that would have been rather messy. Uh, no suspects have been identified and no one has come forward to claim responsibility for the stunt uh, as of Tuesday this week. However, people were quick to recommend fictional suspects on social media. Yeah. I must admit, when you listen to that, that live ATC transmission, it just tickles me when you hear the the ATC controller kind of having a, a very quick giggle uh, when that was reported. <laughs> it just, just really amused you me. Know, and as Armando quite rightly said, you know, 
only in LA would something like that happen. I think worth saying because, uh, to be fair, I think uh, APG uh, covered this, and I think they were speculating that it was uh, possibly a kite um, that uh, that was spotted. I think, and uh, Neil Lamorne has mentioned that in the chat room, chat room as well. It's uh, I don't know. I mean, do do we think it's uh, a guy with a jetpack? I mean, seriously. I mean, if two pilots have said it's going to be, I mean, pilots are normally fairly. I mean, up, you'd like to saying. think they'd know the difference between a kite and a person with a jetpack. So. Armando, you're you're our resident uh, pilot here. I mean, you know, you're, I'm pretty sure you'd be out of what the difference between a kite or a jetpack. Yeah, you know, I would think so too. They, the I remember flying north of RAF Mildenhall at at about three thousand feet, three four thousand feet, and seeing a glider because there's a gliding club between RAF Marham and RAF Mildenhall, and that was a, a pretty shocking moment. And that's something that you expect to see in the mm. air. And then I, and I have seen a drone coming into Baltimore. Uh, a drone is hard to see, but once you see it, you sort of know what it is. So yeah, I think, I think that you would be able to, to identify it as a, as, as a guy in a jet pack, you know, mm. but, uh, but then the flip side of it is you would think that anybody that's testing one of these things or developing one of these things would know that, mm-hmm. you know, where, where and where not to fly. It. I, I, I love that the I, article in the article, they found the one picture of a jet, a, a man in a jet pack flying in front of an airliner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You could, could, uh, could do it again if you tried. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning also, Neil Lanwarn is sort of uh, landing you all in it here. He said, Can we, do we trust pilots to give us reliable information, especially given all the ones that we know? Well, 51%. We only have to tell you, from the front of the airplane, <laughs> we only have to tell you in the back of the airplane what we think is, uh, right. is appropriate. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yes, that's that's, a, that's that's made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Thank you, Armando. I, I feel greatly reassured by no. Go, go out and listen to APG. They were talking about what are the, what are the most embarrassing PA announcements that you've had to make. Oh, really? Um, that, that's pretty. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Is Captain it? Captain Nix is is obviously great. Oh, that doesn't surprise he's me. He's had a terrible day that he had to explain to all his passengers through the course of like nine hours or something like that, and then he had to ditch him. <laughs> Okay, we're going to a hotel. You guys, right. good luck on your own. <laughs> they rode a bus to Newark or LaGuardia or something. I don't, I don't remember. Nice. nice. Nev, is, that, is, is a jet, I was going to say, Nev, is a jetpack something you'd like to have a... Oh, yeah, right? definitely. Yes, as long as it was a yellow one. Uh, oh, banana-coloured, of course. And also for, for, you know, for visibility reasons, too. Uh, oh, we would need quite the muff for you to record audio, right? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> right, it's yeah. going pretty fast. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what she said. Sorry. Uh, anyway. <laughs> whizzing past you at 0.8 Mac. I, I want to be as visible as possible. <laughs> Good point. Yes. <laughs> I, I, th- I think high vis is the answer. Yeah, uh, just an orange uh, helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orange helmet back. and a big fluorescent jacket. What could <laughs> possibly go wrong? Anyway, we're going to move on before somebody sues us. Actually, this, this next story is great. Obviously, <laughs> we, we heard last week on the show that Duxford have lost the uh, the flying legends mm, display yes, but absolutely. matt duxford have got an awesome aircraft now coming uh, yeah indeed so it's fat i, I, I want to say faradare does that sound about right 
Faraday, the UK company developing a hybrid electric short takeoff and landing aircraft for a variety of applications, including regional airline service, on Tuesday began operations at its new headquarters at Duxford Airfield. Uh, the move gives the startup the stability it says it needs to advance plans to achieve a first flight with the planned bioelectric hybrid aircraft, uh, that's the BEA, BEHA, in early 2020. The company is the anchor tenant in Duxford's new Avtech facility, established as a research and development hub for general aviation adventures by Cambridge University's Gonsville and, uh, uh, I want to say, Caius College on land that it owns adjoining the Imperial War Museum site. Uh, the new facility is expected to be ready in 18 to 24 months, and Faraday will, also, will use it, it to build the new aircraft in the process, giving museum visitors a glimpse of how the 21st century aerospace industry works. For the time being, the company is occupying temporary space in the museum's Battle of Britain hangar. The design definition work, which uh, has been underway with a team at Swansea University in Wales for several years, is at an advanced stage. The plan calls for the turboprop to run on biofuels and for hybrid versions of the aircraft to be converted to all-electric propulsion when this technology is finalised. The company aims to have the first version of the aircraft ready to enter service as early as 2026. Faraday anticipates the building three variants of the BEHA. The initial hybrid electric M1H, a pilotless M1AT model uh, to be operated autonomously for uh, military roles, and an all-electric E1 expected to be available by 2030. The aircraft is similar in size to the former British Aerospace Jetstream 31 twin turboprop regional airliner with a wingspan of 55 feet. The aircraft is expected to be able to carry 18 passengers or 5 tonnes of freight on flights of up to around 1,150 miles. It is expected to have a service ceiling of around about 14,000 feet and operate at speeds of up to 230 miles an hour now this is a very very exciting project isn't it and as you say uh, it's been a, a, a slightly um not not the i suppose you know mixed news coming out of duxford shall we say although i think they open they reopen this weekend i think don't they since since lockdown um started which is kind of exciting um but there's some um, yeah there's some uh, there's some great pictures here i'm just going to see if i can pop up a, a a picture of the um like the suggested prototype but i mean armando i mean uh, how do you feel about this particular aircraft well this is the way of the future isn't it we, i mean we, we every time we talk about a hybrid or an electric aircraft um we see just more and more increasingly interesting designs this is i think it's a beautiful airplane and you know especially in the uk if, if that's where it's going to start its its life, what what a great, you know, just what a great market for for short haul flights with just incredibly efficient aircraft. And um, I I love I, I I continue to reach out to these companies um, to have them. I I'd love to have one of them on the podcast mm. and talk about their developments. Mm. And you know, I was just looking at Faraday and you know probably going to reach out to them and say hey do you, do you guys want to come on the show and and talk to us and talk to our audience about about your developments i think that'd be great 
Indeed, I think that's. I think it's a, a great idea. I mean, I, I mean, presumably, I mean, a lot of the domestic flying that that you do, Nev, uh, it, it's. I mean, the, this the range would would meet most like you know, but what is it like Newcastle and Scotland? I mean, there's there's enough range there, really. I mean, especially if it was sort of based out of. I mean, I could I could see one of these very easily flying into and out of city airport, for example. Yeah, and also, yeah, the, the possibility of uh, regional airports, of course, is, is great for this kind of thing, as you say, with, with the kind of range they're talking about as well. So um, I think that's the thing, that trying to replace um, expensive uh, trains, because some of them can be, especially if you haven't booked it in advance, uh, for example, um, with something which is a bit more uh, sensible. Um, now, obviously, trains work pretty well on, on some of those sectors, but not, not in all cases. Um, but yeah, I think this is, this is you know definitely got some got some legs, as they say, or wings in this thing. Um, so uh, yeah, no, interesting, very interesting. Ah, well, it certainly addresses everything, right? It, your carbon emissions, your noise complaints, because it doesn't make any noise. It's fairly silent, so and it's a comfortable ride, you know. I, I, yeah. Kind of, kind of fits in with the Duxford whole scene i think i mean i quite like the old versus the new idea as well i think that's a nice sort of uh, touch mm. isn't it to sort of go you know literally like f- when flight first began to right up to the present day i mean i, I can't wait to go and have a look actually yeah we that's need to go, go back trip. to duxford again mm, absolutely definitely mm. yeah so next uh, story for you nev and uh, it's all about those fees it is, yes, and there's plenty of them, uh, and this is some of the problems we have at the moment, and uh, this is from TheVerge.com, and it says that uh, American Airlines and Delta Airlines both said they will permanently eliminate fees associated with changing or cancelling a flight. The news comes less than a day after United Airlines first announced a permanent end to its cha- uh, change fee policy. All three carriers have been waiving change fees since March 2020. The demand dried up. The airlines are seeking to make flying look safe, stress-free, and most of all, cheap. I can't tell you. We're ticking many of those boxes at the moment. Uh, But uh, we've said before that we need to approach flexibility uh, differently than the industry has in the past. And today's announcement builds on that promise to ensure we're offering industry-leading flexibility, space, and care by our customers, said Delta CEO Ed Bastian in a statement. By eliminating change fees, giving our customers an opportunity to get where they want to go faster with free same-day standby on earlier flights and providing access to upgrades and seats for all fare types, American Airlines Chief Revenue Officer Vasu Raja said. Uh, well, the new policy only applies to travel within the U.S., however, and uh, airlines have traditionally relied on change fees, which can be as high as $200 a person, to rake in billions of dollars every year. United took in uh, $625 million in change fees in 2019, whilst Delta earned $615 million. Industry-wide, uh, the change fees brought in $2.8 billion in 2019. The pressure is now on the smaller and mid-tier carriers to make a similar move. A spokesperson for Southwest noted that the airline had never charged an extra fee for travel changes, while spokespersons for Spirit, JetBlue and Alaska Airlines did not immediately respond to a request for comment. But yes, changing your flight, um, 
there's always a, a reason for the airline to see if they can get a few extra dollars out of you. I mean, I suppose in, in these times, though, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's literally trying to retain uh, the business as much, you know, for as much as you can, isn't it? You, you need people to sort of rebook in these times when people are so unsure about flying. Um, so they, there's hope. They've got to do something, haven't they? Yeah, it's, it's, will, will they bring them back, though, I guess, if we well, return to, you know... I'm a glasses. I'm a glasses half full kind of guy. So instead of that, maybe they will get rid of seat uh, choosing fees. Maybe they'll get rid of baggage fees. Maybe they'll get rid of all the other fees. You've essentially right there. Essentially, Amanda, what you've done is you've killed off Ryanair's model completely. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm th- I'm thinking of charging um, EasyJet a fee myself. Right, okay. <laughs> a, a fee for non-payment of my refund for my flight. Oh, have you got it back yet? Yeah. Public grievance. Public still, grievance. Still not in my bank yet. Oh, well. Right. I mean, it's, you know, this is... Uh... <laughs> just putting it out there, you know, I'm right. just saying. Okay. Uh, what, 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 I mean, what was it, business class ticket, was it, uh, Carlos? I mean... No, no, no. No, no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> it, 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 did, it did say when I put the, re, the refund thing through the ticket online on the EasyJet website, it, did take, it, it said it may take up to 28 days for the 200 quid that they owe me because that's all it is. It's all the flights were to Malta and back, um, back into the account. But I would imagine that it's probably going to be 29 days before I see anything. In their defence, is it possible that it's because they just have such a volume <laughs> of refunds to do at the moment? I mean, is is it possible that it could genuinely take 28 days to get round to you because refunds of this nature cannot be automated. I mean, somebody has got to sit down and physically refund you the money. Yeah, well, you know, um, it will will come when it comes. I'm doing an Armando. I'm I'm trying to be glass half full. I will will just say, actually, in in Nev's kind of defence as such, BA were incredible. Right, fair point. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, just saying, Nev. Yes, well, they've been they've been very good. Although they did try to um, when they cancelled our flight to oh, it was was the Malta one, yeah. Um, I said, so do you fancy going to Gibraltar for a, for a couple of days uh, instead? And we we did consider that, but they weren't able to switch the flights. And there was a five hundred and fifty pound change fee. What? Even oh, though oh, oh, oh. they've cancelled the flight. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I, I mean, obviously, you you did that, right? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, goodness. Uh, actually, Carlos, all jokes aside, um, Jan Hubner in the chat room here has uh, has said something very very true here. Uh, the the credit card chargeback. Is any one problem with that? Right, you did it on a Visa card, didn't you? Correct them under. Now, look here, Carlos. You, of all people, should know <laughs> that whenever you're booking any kind of... Car- Carlos, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely shocked that you used a debit it, card and not... A it was a debit... I was a debit card, yeah. But, but I, I have, mean, I yeah, have got... Right. Okay, so a public service announcement, please, ladies and gentlemen. Unless you want to look like a chump like Carlos, <laughs> whenever you're booking your flights or whenever you're booking a holiday, and I'm going to look right into the camera here. Sorry if this is the audio version. Just work, <laughs> make sure that you book on a credit card and don't end up like a chump like Uncle Carlos. <laughs> Honestly, uh, Car- of you, of all people. It, to be fair, I booked the BA flights on the credit card because they were a £1,000, but... Um, 
with the with the easyjet ones being at just 200 quid you know that was a case of oh the money's there i'll just book the flights now and use my visa debit card but <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get less, i'll get the money learn. back it right. will just be it'll just take a little yeah. while okay all right then and when yeah. we're still talking about this in a year's time because you haven't had your money back <laughs> i'll uh, be charging <laughs> Anyway, we should probably move on before moving John gets on, really yes. waspy. Moving on yeah. to the next story, Armando, and uh, it's all about go-go, go-go-go. Yeah. Speaking of in-flight uh, amenities and things like that, anybody who's flown any airline in the world has probably tried to use in-flight internet and seen the go-go logo. So from the Chicago Tribune, uh, in-flight internet company GoGo is selling its commercial aviation business for $400 million, which you think it would actually be more than that. So following a series of efforts that the company has made to cut costs during the coronavirus pandemic, global satellite operator Intelsat has, is the buyer, GoGo said in a news release this last Monday. Uh, their president and CEO, Oakley Thorne, said, I've been preaching publicly for a long time that service providers like GoGo really need to be vertically integrated with uh, satellite providers that they can buy capacity from. And that's what this deal does. He said that in talks, that the talks began before the, the pandemic and he was pleased to be able to get it done despite COVID. So this deal will leave GoGo with its business aviation unit, which ser serves uh, corporate flights, probably that Gulfstream G700 we just talked about. Uh, most of the employees are based in Broomfield, Colorado and that's where GoGo will move its headquarters to. Uh, employees in GoGo's commercial airline business will become employees of Intelsat, uh, and Intelsat does plan to keep the commercial airline business in Chicago and operate it as an independent business unit, and there are no job cuts planned. Um, and that's, uh, they, they employ about just un under 1,000 people, about 500 of which are in the Chicago area. So. Let's see if this improves the service from GoGo because I know that's one of my constant frustrations <laughs> as soon as I board half these airliners. Yeah. Mm, if you've got a GoGo, you've right. got to go. Okay, careful with the puns here. <laughs> uh, actually, what you were mentioning jobs there, of course, let's, let's not forget that uh, I think it was today it was announced that there was over 1,000 jobs going at Virgin uh, uh, today. Uh, I think all of a sudden it's uh, an interesting uh, sort of scenario there. I, I, I just uh, I get more more to come out of that. I think isn't there, Carlos? I, I'm not really sure. Well, they should just today, employ you and you and Nev. I think to do all their broadband needs on aircraft. No, I was talking <laughs> <laughs> that too. No, I was talking about the Virgin Atlantic story that that hit sort of earlier this afternoon. Yes, I think wasn't it? Yes, about the uh, the, uh, the job, job losses. losses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This yeah. um, the last story actually uh, on the uh, commercial news this week is uh, about Glo uh, well it's about Virgin Atlantic, and it's on Flight Global. So UK carrier Virgin Atlantic um, is restoring flights to Atlanta, Lagos, uh, Tel Aviv, and the Indian cities of Delhi and Mumbai this month as the restructuring airline rebuilds its network amid coronavirus. The services. Add to its existing network of U.S. destinations of New York, JFK, Los Angeles and Miami, as well as Barbados, Hong Kong and Shanghai. The carrier resumed passenger services on the 20th of July following the coronavirus grounding. Virgin Atlantic Chief Commercial Officer Joao Javinen says uh, we are continually reviewing our network 
as uh, and as countries begin to open up their borders and we're introducing more and more flying. He says that we are incredibly excited to resume services to Delhi, Tel Aviv, Atlanta, Mumbai and Lagos this September, as well as increasing the frequency to other destinations. He says that we're now offering daily flights to New York JFK and LA, twice weekly flights to Shanghai as well. And uh, notice as well on here, uh, Wizz Air have announced six new destinations as well from Doncaster Sheffield Airport. So Wizz Air have announced it, its expansion at the airport with the addition of a second Airbus A320 aircraft and six new routes to Futaventura, uh, Gran Canaria, Lanzarote, Tenerife, Lisbon and Eindhoven starting operations on October the 22nd. Tickets to the new destinations can already be booked on wizair.com's website and the airline's mobile app from as low as £17.99. So in, uh, it's coming less than three weeks after the announcement of Wizair UK's uh, based operations at Doncaster Sheffield. So actually, yeah, on that uh, story about uh, Virgin, Nev, was it, uh, how many jobs was it uh, Virgin were? Oh, today, um, 1,150, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, so those are additional job losses uh, in, in, yeah, in addition to the ones that were announced. I think um, Sky News said that uh, Virgin of of nearly, with that that uh, cut of nearly half their workforce. I think they said. Uh, yes, half, extraordinary. Yeah. And I, I think the problem is that the recovery from all of this is is going to take a very long time indeed. And now we've seen the extent of some of the cuts uh, and uh, from BA last week as well. So, yeah, it's it's pretty horrible this and uh, there's there's no quick fix to it unfortunately it'll be interesting to see when all this does get or finally things start to get back to normal how many people who have lost their jobs within the aviation industry will go back to if they're offered a job back within the aviation industry or or, yeah, or so I was, I was yeah. thinking that the other day actually and I, I wondered whether we're actually losing people out of the industry for good mm. and of course when that happens there's a whole load of new recruitment that's got to go on expensive recruitment and then training people from scratch in some cases mm. as well so it is it's a false economy on the one hand but on the other hand if they don't have the the cash to keep the whole operation afloat then they've got to do something on the overheads haven't they? So, well and, and that's and the issue isn't it at the end of the day i suppose you know you could keep all the staff on and then go under an awful lot faster i guess it's uh, mm. i mean it's just, the aviation industry is on its knees there's no two ways about it is it i mean it's just it's it's horrendous it, bearing in mind this is an industry that we all love um it, it, it's 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 heartbreaking isn't it yeah oh, yeah yeah it's uh, there, there is a bit of positive news, obviously, which Carlos I think is uh, uh, about to share with us. Yeah, I did. I did. I mentioned that. I mentioned that. Yeah, the Wizz Air one with the new destinations. But actually, there was there was a few um, airline. I think there was some airlines I read on. Uh, it might have been Simple Flying. I think I saw the story on. I think Armando might know better than me. I think there was some US airlines that had kind of brought on a few more destinations. I think it was one of the regional airlines that had um, opened up a few more. Uh, routes within the U.S. Yeah, there's there's just so much change going on right now. American and Delta both announced that they were going to um, cut services to I think 11 11 cities. Um, obviously, those are based on passenger loads, and but somebody will pick them up. So then you have you know the regionals or a smaller essentially air service carrier that can come in and pick up that service. I know 
my particular company, we are in competition with SkyWest and many of our markets um, as we evaluate our passenger loads and say, oh, geez, maybe this isn't worth it. You know, we're way smaller than SkyWest and, and they're coming in to, um, you know, to, to basically try to provide service to that, that destination. And the, the service will always be there. And, and without, there, there's getting political and then there's get, getting aviation political, which is six months or eight months ago, it was, it was a buyer's market, right? You had all these pilots, everybody was looking for pilots and, and we had, we had management on their knees, so to well, speak. And there was, there was pilot shortages as well, wasn't there? I there mean, was that was pilot the... shortage, everything we there, there weren't going to be enough. This has leveled, if not changed the playing field where now the, the people behind the desks, the, you know, the bean counters and those that are doing money calculations are saying, wait a minute. So all these pilots that are going to go off, either early retire, uh, take our severance packages, furlough packages, we're looking at five to seven year callbacks before you go back to work, which as Nev was talking about, people aren't going to wait five years. They're going to go off and do something yeah. else. Well, because they and, can't afford not to. Right. But then that means that the thousands and thousands of, of people that had begun training because of this pilot shortage that we were advertising, mm -hmm. now you can pay them a quarter of what you were paying the guys that are saying, wait a minute, you know, I, I'm going to go do something else. I've had enough furloughs in my life. Um, yeah. So it's just this constant battle. And it just happens every few years. Um, so just how, how quickly things change, huh? And, and the, amount, the amount of pilots who are now um, grocery delivery drivers, that ratio <laughs> is quite high from what I understand. I, I know of at least two people who are no longer um, uh, um, airline pilots because of obviously what's going on here both of whom are currently working for a a you know grocery delivery firm essentially for one of the Over major supermarkets high quality grocery delivery firm. well of course absolutely i mean well, yeah it's got to be at least waitrose or something like that hasn't it <laughs> actually alex robinson in the chat room uh, says a couple of good points he says that uh, he's been ma he made at risk of redundancy from his job, currently looking for work outside the aerospace industry for the time being as it's slowing down the pace of the pilot training. Mm. He also, Alex also says that he's hoping that after recovery there'll be a large demand for pilots. Which uh, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. Mm. I'm well, you know, it, it's Stephen Ivey, look at you know his story. He's yeah. He's you know, drastically reduced his flying and he went off, they moved across the country to, to put food on the table and kind of pursue a different avenue. So that he's, there are just so many stories that way. And, and it happens every single time it happened after nine 11, it happened after the recession. It happened every time there's a, a slowdown in the aviation industry. Uh, there's a good amount of people that, that say, you know what, that's just, just one too many furloughs for me. I'm going to go do something. Um, you know, Uber drivers or go work corporate yeah, jobs absolutely. or something like that. Oh, I'll tell you what, I, I, I wouldn't mind a, I wouldn't mind a, a, a you know, a, an A320 captain being my Uber driver, you know, my Uber ride in, into town. <laughs> I think that would be, a, that would be, a, I'd feel very mm. safe. Let's put it that way. I think I'd feel very comforted. <laughs> yeah, they, they'd get on, they'd, they'd get on a right in a push button start car. Oh, now look. <gasps> I see what you did Actually, there. <laughs> just a quick one, Matt, uh, before we move on. Just a quick hello to Lucas, who's joined us in the yep. chat room. Hi, Lucas. Uh, hello to you, Lucas. Hope you're well. 
Uh, uh, Pilot Pip, he's just joined us as well, I noticed. And Pip, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Rich from Sheffield as well. A few more names in there. Uh, your your yeah, friend Jester is back. Is there. Yeah, your, your friend is back, John. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, John and, Jester. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. It's uh, all part of the fin. Uh, fin? fin? Fin. All part of the fin. They're all part of the fin and the tail and the wings <laughs> and the rudder. You just described oh. it. Look, I'm very tired. Be nice. Okay. Bon dia, bon dia, Lucas. Nos falamos portugués também. Oh, now that's just showing off. That's just showing off. Yeah, yeah John, look at that. John, four furloughs. If you're motivated, motivated enough, you will make it. Which most of us are. Most of us good do it because point. we love yeah. it. And we know yeah. that there's, for, for every good time, there's a bad time on the horizon. So, Indeed, absolutely. You're going to have to teach me how, you, how, how, how to speak like that, Armando. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was very, very, very impressed by that. Blimey. So we're going to uh, move on to the next part of the oh, yes. show. And yes. it's that, it's that segment of the show sorry, everyone, everyone, <laughs> everyone looks forward to every week especially my dad. Yes. <laughs> so we are going to move on then to the next thrilling instalment of The Plain Truths with Captain Al and Matt. And this week they are talking about cracks in the windows. Ooh. Hello and welcome to another Plain Truths. And this week we're talking about window cracks. Joining me, as always, is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Uh, hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yes, I'm very good. good. Now, listen, Excellent. I, I just wanted to talk to you about window cracks. I know this sounds like a slightly odd subject, but I have been on an aircraft, even in the little amount of flying that I've done, uh, where I've noticed that the window uh, next to me has had a little tiny, like a, like a hairline fracture, I suppose, for want of a better word, uh, in my little window. And I must admit... As a, a nervous flyer anyway, it did make me quite apprehensive. So, uh, I mean, I, I presume that obviously isn't some kind of major thing to be worried about as uh, I think. And I know there's another window on the outside. So uh, maybe you could sort of talk, talk me through a little bit uh, the, of the procedures and things involved, like when it comes to the vehicle, to, to the aircraft inspections and stuff, uh, and why perhaps that had been left rather than, than changed. Okay, so within the passenger cabin, we've got those little windows that you and I look out of to admire the beautiful scenery beneath us, all the clouds. And you're quite right, there's two elements to it. There's the glass that is effectively on the outside. So that's what you are looking at if you're looking from the outside in. And then if you're inside, you've got a little bit of perspex and then there's a gap between. Now, that little bit of perspex is primarily there to protect the glass on the other side because what we don't really want is people smacking the glass with you know sharp objects or trying to inscribe their name in it <laughs> uh, thinking that it's a pen knife and a and a tree trunk or something like that and you will have probably noticed that there's a small hole in that piece of post yes. yeah, yeah. And that's just to allow the, the pressure to equalize between uh, the gap in between the perspex and the glass, really, because obviously the pressure in the cabin is changing. So it's just to allow pressure equalization between the perspex and the glass. So the perspex, which is just a protector for the glass, does get cracked and damaged. It's cosmetic. It's just there. Uh, almost as trim, really. As I say, it provides a protection function, but it can be cracked. 
um, it would be very, very unusual to see any cracks in the glass on the other side of that perspex. Um, and I can honestly say that I've never known them to become cracked other than by something hitting them. So, and that's being typically from the outside. So the, the windows in the passenger cabin, they're pretty robust to say the very least, primarily because they're, they're protected quite well. Uh, not too many things hit them from the outside and uh, we protect them from sticky fingers and pen knives <laughs> from the inside. Uh. So uh, move, moving on from the what I call like the the, the the cabin area into the cockpit. Now, I mean, I've had something hit my windshield and obviously I've ended up with a hairline crack or whatever that's worked its way up the screen. I mean, what, what are the rules as far as uh, as as you as a captain is concerned? I mean, what, can you can you basically fly with a crack in your windscreen? So this is where it becomes a little bit complicated because Typically, uh, windscreens for cars are made up of uh, three layers. And generally for aircraft, they're made up of uh, seven or more layers. Um, and contained within those layers is a heating element because we need to ensure that the windscreen remains clear at all times. We don't want it frosting up for obvious reasons. We need to see out. So... As you can appreciate, heating and cooling glass does provide a certain challenge and the windshields themselves have a finite life, number of cycles. So they do become, over a period of time, delaminated. So out of those seven layers, you'll start to see bits that are sort of slightly coming apart. And again, as you might imagine, there are tolerances for that. And typically what will happen is the engineers will take a felt tip pen and they'll draw around the area of delamination and they'll monitor the spread. And that's perfectly normal, quite acceptable. With regards to cracking, we have basically two scenarios in flight. Has the windshield cracked on the inside or the outside? So if it's just a crack that you can see, but you cannot feel, so typically what you do is you take a pencil, a credit card, not your finger, because if it is a crack on the inside, you will cut your finger. But you will try to feel whether that crack is on the outside or the inside. If you can feel that crack on the inside, you have a problem because the integrity of the windshield is seriously impaired. If it's just on the outside, that's not such a big deal. And it may just be maintenance action required when you've landed and it can be dispatched back to a maintenance base or it may need to be replaced. If you're unlucky and it's on the inside, then you'll need to put your oxygen mask on and you need to reduce the differential pressure, the delta P, such that the pressure between the outside and the inside of the aircraft is less. And how are we going to do that? We're going to descend and we'll probably do it relatively quickly because what we don't want is that windshield to break up and detach. Because if that happens, we've now got a big hole in the front of the aeroplane and an even bigger problem. Wow, I mean, that's opened a whole new line of concerns and or questions for me there. I mean, presumably that's an almost a once-in-a-lifetime scenario that you're describing. I know of it happening twice. Okay. Uh, it happened... 
uh, a few uh, couple of years ago in China, uh, where uh, basically the windshield left the aeroplane, and it also happened in the UK. Oh, I'm trying to remember when in the 70s or 80s it happened to British Airways uh, on a flight from Birmingham. And that was because the incorrect size bolts had been used to hold the windshield in place. So the windshield was basically blown off the aeroplane and uh, the captain went with it and he would have permanently left the aeroplane were it not for the fact that the first officer was very quick and grabbed his legs, uh, shouted to the purser, who then came to the cockpit to be presented with the, the captain outside of the aeroplane all bar his legs, the first officer holding on. So the purser took over in holding the captain's legs whilst the first officer landed the aeroplane. Uh, apart from a bit of frostbite, the captain was all right. Um, but yes, yeah, incredible. It's, it's, yep. Um, and I don't know the exact um, circumstances behind the one in China. Uh, it happened, I think, the year before last. Uh, so it has happened, uh, but they are exceptionally rare events, as you might imagine. So, and this would obviously generate um, like uh, immediate cabin depressurization, for example. So, uh, I mean, what 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 does that do to the 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 cockpit uh, to the the cabin as well? Presumably, like masks and things all have to come down. And, and yes, uh, the bigger problem that we face isn't so much the depressurization. It's the, you know, 400 mile an hour wind that's coming into your face. <laughs> okay, yes, good point, yeah. <laughs> um, which is quite debilitating, really, because, mm. um, you know, that's, that's not something that you can easily deal with. Um, obviously, everything that's in the cockpit that isn't bolted down is no longer in the same position that it was, because <laughs> it will have just blown everywhere. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's quite a substantial problem. Um so, yes, you've got uh, a depressurization, but you've got a huge hole in the aeroplane as well, and it's at the front, and it's straight at you. So, I mean, obviously, you need to get on the ground as, as quickly as possible. And, uh, yes. You know, it's, uh, presumably it's any airport that's capable of taking uh, an aircraft your size, essentially. Yes, basically. Indeed. Well, I... I, I, I perhaps not the answer i was hoping for but i appreciate the, the honesty there al it's a, actually a very eye-opening uh question well if you want to be um proactive and put a positive spin on the two occasions that i'm aware of where the windshield has has structurally failed uh everybody survived so there you go it's, it's testament to having two pilots and testament to the piloting skills Absolutely, and I think that's a perfect place to uh, bring this to a close. Thank you, Captain Al. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Captain Al. Legend as always. Uh, Jan Hubner in the chat room actually is just a, a minor correction because we like to be at least 50% correct, as we've said before. Uh, August 1990 on a 111 uh, was flying out of BHX that time. There you are. Birmingham. There you go. Actually, yeah. Uh Alex Robinson in the chat room makes a very good point about uh, your your chat with Al, and that's uh, just pull over and call Autoglass. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. John's singing in our ear now. It's so. Uh, part of me is uh, amazed that 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 he's 
yeah, old enough to remember that advert. I'll be honest, but anyway, there we yeah. go. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that it was must a good, have been on that was a good little segment. Thing. That was Matt. Well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I say, it's an unusual subject matter, isn't it? Really, but uh, uh, I, I hadn't. I mean, I hadn't even really thought about things like the um, uh, like the front windshield. I mean, uh, my my question initially was actually more to do with you know the passenger window, and of course, it was interesting to learn that um, the 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 one that you and I see, the perspex one that. That's, well, this one here yeah 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 okay yeah <laughs> but that that one is actually just literally for show so if it's got a crack in it, it it doesn't make any difference it's actually the outside one that is is you know important but uh, anyway yes captain al legend as always thank you very much for a uh, uh, great great segment as always i do remember my first window crack when we had a, a heating element failure and you know there's seven layers of glass there but as you're watching that crack just kind of move, <laughs> you sort of just put on your sunshades and you, you lower your seat as much as you can. And you're like, mm, okay. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we on the ground yet? Yeah. Can, can we land yet, please? Is anyone up strips? Uh, old enough or young enough to remember when uh, car windscreens weren't laminated? Yes, I'm, I'm old enough, they yeah. were just up into this. So when you had a chip or a stone flick up into your windscreen, the whole thing just shattered and <laughs> yeah. you could not see anything at all and some of it would come inside you. But obviously with the new laminated technology, you just get a bit of a, a crack. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And actually... I, I, I can confirm, Nev, that uh, my very first car, which was a Mark I Ford Fiesta, 958 cc's i should stress very very powerful uh i couldn't quite afford the nine the nine nine eight or what did the just one point one yeah i couldn't quite afford that uh insurance because you know for the for that it was still like 600 quid when i first started which was like stupid money. i actually had that i was on my way to norwich and the windscreen literally just imploded on me it was the most mm. horrific thing that i ever have in, in you know different times and all that kind of thing i basically pushed the windscreen in and then drove it home uh <laughs> you know but uh, you know different times different times yeah. <laughs> anyway um that's uh we, we should probably do something else carlos quick dig me yeah, out this i hole, think please. what we're gonna do we are gonna <laughs> hand the show over to the absolute master of all things military, that is Armando, to introduce the next part of the show. Oh, man, we were going to drop it, but since Jonathan Warner and Rick <laughs> Bell are in the chat room, <laughs> suppose we should do it. Yeah, it's okay. Matt, if you're ready, let's hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, this first uh, article is coming to us uh, actually from the Navy. Uh, U.S. Navy Airborne Early Warning and Control aircraft crashed Monday during a training flight over Virginia. All four crew members safely egressed from the aircraft and were rescued on the ground. The Navy has yet to indicate what caused the plane, which is the largest aircraft station at the on an American aircraft carrier, to crash. At 3.50 p.m. on Monday, the Hawkeye went down on Wallops Island which is the location of NASA flight test facility and the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport. A video from local news station showed the aircraft plummeting to the earth, followed by a black cloud of smoke. The E-2C Hawkeye normally flies with a crew of five, a pilot, a co-pilot, combat information center officer, aircraft control officer, and a radar officer. 
The CIC aircraft control and radar officers sit in the rear of the airplane monitoring data from its radar system. The radar, uh, which is readily identifiable, is a large 24-foot wide circular radome mounted above the fuselage, similar to the E3AWACS. Uh, the radar has a range of at least 341 miles and is capable of tracking up to 600 radar targets uh, at once. It can also coordinate up to 40 intercepts simultaneously, vectoring friendly fighters in the direction of the plane. Now, I can relate to this. Getting out of a stricken Hawkeye is not easy. Unlike fighter jets, the propeller-driven E-2 lacks ejection seats for the aircrew. Crew members must don parachutes before flight and in the, in the event of an emergency, unbuckle themselves from their seats, open the side door, and jump out of the aircraft. So Matt is going to play out a CNN segment here in a second, and uh, we'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can watch the, the full uh, five-minute video. Much of what this plane does is classified. The plane uses this sophisticated radar, the large dish perched on top of the fuselage. The Hawkeye commands and controls the airspace for U.S. and coalition forces. We can't do what we do unless we got dedicated guys like Jerry in the back there who, uh, who make stuff happen. I got a chuck, I got my two o'clock now. The Combat Information Center, or CIC, is in the back part of the plane. Although the Navy granted 10 on your side exclusive access to this part of the aircraft, most of what goes on back here is classified, and we are limited as to what we can show you. In the back of the E-2, we have uh, three naval flight officers. The center seat is the mission commander. To my left is air control officer, and to where you're sitting is the radar officer. Uh, pretty much, we run the mission uh, according to commander's intent. The Hawkeye is both the eyes and ears for carrier air wings flying combat missions. Making sure that no uh, unknown air contacts get in uh, uh, close to mom without getting checked out by our fighters or us knowing uh, who they are. Mom, as they call her, is the carrier from which the E-2 missions originate. The Hawkeye gets its name from its ability to see for hundreds of miles around the ship with an eye on just about anything and everything moving. What I'll do is I'll tune my scope a bit here so I have a good radar picture. The Hawkeye's sophisticated radar enables it to track aircraft, including missiles, even some surface contacts, for hundreds of miles in every direction. So I can see uh, Connecticut, I can see uh, New Hampshire there. And uh, I'm sorry, Rhode Island, and I can see the southern part of uh, Massachusetts. All of the lines you see electronically painted on the scope are aircraft. A lot of aircraft. You can watch that many planes at once. The system can do it. Of course, my interface, of course. The vast amount of information the weapons system on board the E-2 processes enables battle commanders from ship to shore to make more informed decisions. Decisions that can ultimately determine the outcome of a battle. Cliche, if you will, but I mean, knowledge is power. Yeah, so you can see from that video, if you're listening to the audio podcast, head on over to the show notes and and check out that uh, that little clip. There's not a lot of room back there in the back of an E2 Hawkeye, and getting out of it in a hurry is probably a challenge. You know, so uh, whatever happened here, um, good job to the crew, good job to the aircraft commander, and uh, and I'll be looking to see if there's. Um, yeah, I'll be looking to see if there's any updates uh, from the Navy on this this mishap. And, and of course, uh, as we always 
say they're falling back on their training so uh, i want to uh, circle back if i may actually just briefly to uh, john jester has sent us a picture we were talking about window cracks and things weren't we and laminated glass etc and um I-, I can't see uh the the chat room at the moment but uh, this picture here what was what was this aircraft from this picture from that was a crj uh, yeah, yeah. twenty nine thousand feet, Matt. That happened. I mean, you, you as you say, you, you know, there's seven layers of glass there, but you, you're right. Everything would tighten up just a little, wouldn't it? It's uh, suboptimal, certainly. Yes, yeah, yeah. certainly suboptimal. Apparently, John uh, John Jester said apparently when that happened, it sounded like a shotgun going on. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, the the most common cause is the the heating elements will fail and. As you can imagine, it you know it's it's negative forty degrees, negative fifty degrees mm. Celsius up there at altitude, and and you're landing somewhere that may be thirty nine degrees Celsius on the ground, and that is uh, it's just a just an an immense pressure change, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Bell's just said in the chat, if I saw that, my butt would have eaten my seat cushion. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I I think he's right. Yes, That's a visual thing we do not want to see. That is not. That is not the sort of experiment we like to see going on, is it? Uh, anyway, back to the military. Uh, story two. Yeah, story two. This one is on a defenseblog.com. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we all know driving a car on a road and, you know, driving along, and if you're not paying attention, you might hit a road sign. You never know. But how about if you're flying your fighter jet along a road and you hit, hit a road sign so on the 27th of august ukrainian air force fighter jets have practiced for rough landings on improvised runways as part of trials to uh, to use roads for emergency landings and to demonstrate the capability to swiftly assemble air power to counter any threat two sukhoi su-27 heavy fighter jets of the ukrainian air force landed on the main road connecting the capital kiev with uh, chop on thursday in the footage below, uh, which is Matt's going to play, hopefully, uh, published by numerous witnesses on social media, you can see the, uh, the SU-27 performing their drills on what is known as Highway M06, a Ukrainian international highway connecting Kiev to the Hungarian border near Chop. One of the fighter jets miscalculates the landing point and almost landed on, on the head of people and police cars. And the SU-27 fighter also knocked down a road sign during the landing, which could lead or could have led to a fatal crash. It should be noted that in the days leading up to the exercise, the roads, bus stops and lampposts were temporarily removed. Well, obviously not that sign. Uh, Specialised road sweepers combed the few kilometres stretched to pick up debris left by the heavy vehicles that normally ply the road. And loud flares were fired to scare away birds that could pose a hazard to the aircraft. Now, I watched that video back a few times and he really, he did... It definitely did hit the road sign, and it definitely did. It went somewhere. I don't think it went through well, the air intake. Ju- judging by the the picture here, it actually folded into. If you look, it's actually attached to the the. Is it the air mm. intake there? Yeah. Um, yeah. If uh, let me just let me just run that back. Look, there we go. If I if I run that back to about. Sorry, I don't normally do this on the fly, as you can tell. There we go. Here it comes. There we go. There we go. Wallop. There you are. You can see it just wrapped around the. Uh, the uh, is that the is that like a, an air intake, Armando? Yeah, that's the that's the intake for the engine. It's a twin engine aircraft, and there was actually some pictures published on social media 
by someone. I don't know if it was officially the Russian government, but that that road sign was was solidly folded into mm-hmm. that intake. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, yes it, oh. it, it was one with the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, we're going to call that a, a ground support staff fail on that one because, <laughs> yeah, while while the pilot may have miscalculated that landing, they should have also planned that a pilot will miscalculate the landing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Armando, on your on your time here in the UK with the you know with the with the, with the force and that, did you ever? have the chance to land on any of our uk roads no i hated driving on uk roads much less landing on them what are you talking about you can't you can't fit a you can't I mean, fit a lorry much less I mean, 84 feet of propeller i mean you could probably you could probably land on you know like the m25 because it's four lanes but that would be about no it. there'd be too much traffic yeah, on there, mate. something tells me that silly. in the uk for us to land on the m25 would have required a lot of paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really? Yeah, but I don't know what you mean. We, we don't like yeah. forms here in the UK. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what's interesting is uh, it is a capability that we maintain. I, I think A-10s, F-15s have all landed on roads at some point. I think it's usually happening in Europe, actually. Um, it ha- you know, it, it's something that the U.S. practices occasionally, infrequently, yeah. because we're pretty sure that we're going to have access to some kind of airfield, but the Russians, John's uh, just found some, me the picture of, of the road sign, they, by the way. Yeah, there you go. There's, you know, <laughs> literally it's, it's one there. with the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I think that would have stayed there for the entire flight to be fair. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it probably didn't even cause any damage. I mean, it'll buff out as they say. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and let's not, and let's not forget as well, these Russian built aircraft, you know, as we'd seen from, you know, the, the illusions and stuff, the 76s, these are built like tanks. You know, you, you could probably, you could have probably hit a brick building and carried on flying and yeah. flying somewhere else. Well, yeah. And you know, and yeah, Jacob Darlington Brown in the chat room, that the Royal uh, Flying Doctors, uh, which are a, probably the world's biggest operator of PC-12s, they, they do it all the time. They, they, fly, they land on roads, they land on un, unimproved airstrips, which may be a dirt road, a paved road or something like that. Uh, I know the Harriers back in the day used to land on roads, um, but all that takes a lot of practice and, and it takes a lot of coordination with local authorities. It, it is it is one of those last resort things that you're going to use in a conflict is. Um, but, you know, if your home base is compromised, you know, a chemical attack or a biolog- biological attack or something like that, you got to land somewhere. And uh, it is something, a capability that most Air Forces or at least uh, advanced air forces maintain, just not practice regularly. The RAF, the, Jonathan, love to do it, the RAF, Jonathan Warner was saying, used to land Jaguars on the roads, apparently. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, Richard Adams suggested one of the reasons why you wouldn't be trying to land on the M25 <laughs> is because there'd just be too many cones, <laughs> which is probably a good point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we do love a cone here in the UK. Too many, too many potholes and a cone. <laughs> oh, oh, steady. <laughs> but, that, but that's why our, that, but that's why our road tax goes up each year. <clears throat> anyway, oh, moving on. Well, that's a great Sud- question. Suddenly, Do, we're would I have political. to have a road tax sticker on, or uh, on the on the side of my canopy mm-hmm. if I'm going to land on the road? You know, do I do I need to get an MOT? You, you probably you probably get pulled over by an IMPR camera. Oh, God, um, yeah. I can't imagine the emissions results from the MOT on a CB-22. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
mean, it might, yeah, you might be surprised. It can't be any worse than a, than a you know eleven and a half litre diesel engine. Uh, yeah. I would imagine? love I would love to see an MOT report on a CV twenty two. Right. Okay. I mean, they do have them, just not as we know it, Jim. Mm. Anyway, uh, shall we move? Shall we move on? Well, yeah. Speaking of speaking of the Russians, this is your, your uh, helicopter update brought to you by your friendly PTUK staff. Uh, progress. <laughs> Arsenyev Aviation Company, a Russian helicopter's subsidiary, conducted the maiden flight of the latest KA-52 Mike attack helicopter prototype last month. That is according to the Russian Ministry of Industry and Trade. The helicopter is an upgraded variant of the KA-52 Alligator, uh, which has been mass-produced since 2007. Uh, research and development for the KA-52 mod- modernization program began in 2019, and a contract for 114K-52s is in the pipeline. Information in the public domain shows that the K-52 mic will be equipped with an upgraded electro-optical or camera sighting system with an increased range of detection and target recognition, as well as new digital drive to improve the accuracy of the automatic cannon. I think that's similar to the Apache. Uh, The new look K-52 will also receive a new radar and an extended range guided missile. A more powerful heating element for the rotor blades will also allow the KA-52 to operate in Arctic conditions. Uh, new landing gear is designed for higher durability and load bearing capability, uh, cap- capacity. The modernized KA-52 also has a new cockpit environment, which will ensure compliance with modern ergonomic requirements, including night vision goggles. For the pilot. Jonathan Warner is testing apparently that the KA the KA fifty two is making Apache look like a child's toy, by the way. Yeah, it's a it's a beast <laughs> of a helicopter and you put the pictures up there, go out and Google it. It is a mean looking helicopter. It's got the counter rotating propeller or uh, rotor blades. Uh yeah, very, very uh interesting looking uh, aircraft. Mm. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they take out a, they take out the road signs and the trees when they land on the roads. Yeah, sorry. More importantly, this is from uh, Rick Bell saying, and more importantly, can the KA-52s land on the roads? Probably, yeah. probably. You certainly wouldn't need much of a you know to take off. You wouldn't need much of a you know much in front of you. To be fair, no. These are very capable helicopters. And speaking of capable helicopters, in the U.S. military uh, update. The U.S. Army 160th, 160th uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment, or the Night Stalkers, a highly specialized combat aviation unit headquartered at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. The unit supports U.S. and coalition combat units like the Army Special Forces, Naval Special Warfare, otherwise known as the SEALs, and other special operations units conducting attack, assault, reconnaissance, infiltration, exfiltration, and pretty much any other special operation um, but they are updating their uh, MH6s and AH6s into a NOTAR or a no-tail rotor configuration. So recent images just surfaced, and this variant was meant to provide the regiment with a quieter and safer operation over a traditional tail rotor. Because the fan is enclosed in the tail boom, tail rotor noise, which is another propeller in the back, uh, is reduced. And it's also eliminated vulnerable exposed Blades, which are subject to enemy fire, also eliminating the possibility of persons being injured or killed on the ground, um, which is uh, the cause of many confined area maneuvering accidents. Um, NOTAR-equipped helicopters are among the quietest of helicopters 
a feature that is vital during special operations. Now, the NOTAR, the no-tail rotor design, has been developed by McDonnell Douglas Helicopter Systems. Um, it's been in use since I think the I think the 60s or the 70s. So there's been many variants of this, but this system uses a fan inside the tail boom to build a high volume of low pressure air, which exits through two slots and creates a boundary layer flow uh, of air along the tail boom using the Coanda effect. Uh, the boundary layer changes the direction of airflow around the tail boom, creating thrust opposite to the motion uh, created by basically the, the rotors, uh, the gyroscopic fotor, uh, forces of the rotors uh, and the engine. Um, so there you go. That's just another advancement in, uh, in two different helicopters. Can I, I'm going to be really perhaps not controversial because you know i'm the first to admit that helicopters defy physics as far as i'm concerned you know true they're they're not made in you know they're not made in factories they're made in hogwarts but Mm -hmm. forgive my my naivety but that is not a very nice looking aircraft Uh, It, it looks like to me it looks like Somebody bolted on something random onto the back of it. <laughs> well, you had to I, I, somehow get a jet engine and all of the air from that jet engine to go backwards and out the sides. And... I, I, I feel like, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like somebody could have done a better job. Do you know? I, I just, it, it, yeah, it just, it's just been sort of like bolted on. It just looks like it's been bolted onto the the back of the helicopter <laughs> underneath the rotor blades. You think? I mean, I assume there's enough clearance there also for the. Uh, you know, it's not going to catch the rotor blades and, uh, and the. <laughs> and no, like it's that. it's. I'm sure it's been developed. Uh, this is probably a prototype. Um, that, like I said, the the NOTAR concept has yeah. been around for many many years. So this is probably just another example of us having the computing power to anticipate the aerodynamics of, uh, of an upgrade like this. So, you know, back in the day in the sixties and seventies, they were, they were doing this with math and, 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 and paper and, and slide rules. No, I mean, there were computers, but, but nowadays with, with the ability for computers to analyze something before you ever build it and how it's going to act, um, I'm sure this will evolve. This is one of the Army's most capable helicopters, the, the AH-6, MH-6. Um, so, so I'm sure they've taken to that into account. And, uh, uh, Jonathan Warner is very much on your side here. He's basically saying that uh, you know, the MD-500SA looks cool. What are you on about, Matt? Which is, you know, <laughs> is fair enough. Well, I you know, we're just going to paint it black and call it tactical. So. Yeah, absolutely. He, although he does ad- ad- admittedly say sort of afterwards that, you know, OK, all that, that said, it does look a little tiny bit, uh, little tiny bit weird. And then uh, Sturman is uh, also joining in saying that, Matt, I agree, it is a bit sort of drone Dalek. Actually, that's a, that's, a, that's a good way of describing it, actually, isn't it? It is a bit sort of like a bit of a drone Dalek type sort of thing. It's, uh, I don't know, I, 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 I would have at least, do you know what, do you know what it, I think I know what it is. Sorry, Nev's probably nodded off by now, to be honest, but uh, it's... <laughs> I can't find the pictures. There it is. It's, Nev, uh, Nev's ordering himself one on the is he? Online, Right, no. okay. I'm just going to go back to this look, because it's just like, you think, well, at least paint it all the same colour. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Looks a bit like a big cigar just stuck in the back. The, the big cigar. Yes, that's, that's one hell of a Cuban right there. Anyway, uh, shall we move on uh, to... Uh, nice little story, story, this one, yeah. uh, for Nev, actually. Very nice. Here's a good one. Yes, I, I'm enjoying uh, reading this uh, uh, earlier on, actually. 
Uh, it says that the uh, D-Day squadron participates in VG, VJ Day, 75th commemorative flyover. Uh, Wednesday, this was just gone on the 2nd of September, the commemorative Air Force's Inland Empire Wing conducted a flight over several important historic landmarks, which played a ro major role in World War II. The, uh, this event commemorates 75 years since Imperial Japan signed the surrender document aboard the USS Missouri, officially ending World War II. The Victory Flight hopes to bring honour to the veterans of World War II, including personnel who were held as prisoners of war or listed as missing at, in action for their service and sacrifice, and to thank and honour the families of those veterans and pay tribute the contribution made on the home front by the people of Southern California during World War II. The flight went over many of these important landmarks, such as the aircraft manufacturing facilities in Santa Monica, the Santa Ana Naval Air Station and Marine Air Corps Station in El Toro. The Pacific Battleship Center, uh, Battleship Iowa is another landmark the flight will fly over in conjunction with a live streaming event in collaboration with uh, Battleship Missouri uh, in uh, Pearl Harbor. This is a very big year, said Bill Prosser, IEW business officer. This is truly one of the last opportunities to pay a tribute to those who contributed to the war in person. And sadly, due to the pandemic, we are trying to find very creative ways to doing it. If we do not do it now, we'll be missing a tremendous opportunity to educate the public about World War II and why it is such a significant part of our history. The 90-minute flyover uh, began at uh, 12 p.m. Pacific time at Torrance Airport, also known as Zamperini Field, and went over several landmarks. It hit the target flying over the USS Iowa at about 12.30 p.m. 14 World War II-era aircraft were slated to participate. Five C-47s amongst those who returned to Normandy in to, uh, June 2019 as the D-Day squadron. Aboard some of the aircraft will be the veterans, Rosie the Riveters, and Holocaust survivors. So a uh, very fitting tribute, I think. And that's a, a, a very nice nice thing to do, especially under such difficult circumstances. Mm. Actually, Nev, how, how would you fancy a flight in a C-53? Uh, yes, please, yep. Yeah, they um, they actually, the Inland Empire Wing, um, you have to go to the US, and I don't know whether they're, they're currently doing these flights, but you can, for $200, Nev, you can uh, have a flight in uh, C-53. Okay. Which is not yeah. not too yeah. bad, I think. It's actually well, When quite you get fun. your refund from EasyJet, <laughs> Yay. transfer the yeah. money, and we'll be off. Yeah. Yes, that'll, well, actually, that'll buy, buy you one-fifteenth of a flight. Yes. And it, especially for Matt, they've got a Harvard, uh, Harvard 2, a T6 teacher, or a Harvard 2 and a T6 teacher. You can have an aerobatic flight in one of those for $4. No, you're all right, thanks. No, 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 no. All good, thank you. Moving on. Uh <laughs> hey, Nev, if you're going to book a flight on a C-47 or a C-53, just book with your credit card, please. That's yes. it, yeah. Uh, please, 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 please don't do it, Carlos. That would just be very foolish. Uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> You're never going to uh, be allowed to forget that. You're not going to be allowed to forget that. All the people to do something as stupid as that. What? Even, even Simon Calder, you know, the yeah. man who is the king of this, is like, even if you've got the money, always buy your flights and your accommodation and everything on a credit card. Oh, I was going to treat you to a chance with that money when it comes, Matt. But oh, um, I'll shut up. Oh, well. yeah, no, anyway. I'll take everything back. I'll take everything back. <laughs> yeah, I, I withdraw my earlier statement. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so moving on to the next segment, Nev, uh, what's coming up uh, next? Yes, now, you remember in the last few weeks we ran a competition with the aim of getting to know you, our audience, a little better. So many thanks to Andrew Keegan from the Plain Reclaimers for giving us the amazing prize of £150 to spend in the Plain Reclaimers shop. If you haven't seen what they do, you just uh, check out episode 324, where we had him as a guest on the show. So very well done to Andrew Van der Sarg, who won the draw, and you can hear his entry on last week's show. Um, and uh, Sorry, on, on the show, which is episode 330. Um, we'll, we asked you to send in a little uh, pieces about uh, your, your experience around the theme of aviation in my life. And for the next few weeks, we'll be playing out some of the feedback we received this week's entry comes from jan hubner hello gentlemen this is my not so exciting story of why i love aviation and what got me there when i grew up in berlin of in the 1970s and 1980s we were living on that island city in the middle of evil communist east germany as the city was legally under allied status, only, Amer- only the Americans, British and French were allowed to operate commercial air traffic in and out of West Berlin. This also meant that I grew up with likes on uh, BA, uh, Dan Air and Pan Am, the BAC 111 and 727s. Uh, My family was fortunate enough to allow for most holidays and friends and family visits outside of Berlin to be done by means of air travel. In fact, we used it so often, my dad was awarded with Pan Am's lifetime membership in Clipper Club in the early 80s. Unfortunately, my dream of becoming a a professional pilot uh, got obliviated uh, obliviated very early in my life as I was born with some serious visual impairments, which, which only got corrected in my late 20s. So way after I had to choose my career path after graduating from school. Being a technical-minded personality, I chose a career in IT, so feet on the ground rather than in the air. But as my life and career progressed, aviation still didn't become my profession, but working in IT got me some lovely projects in this space. Unfortunately, most of the airlines I worked on projects for went out of business. So people like Air Berlin, Deutsche BA, Germania have all gone. Uh, However, I made friends and with some great people who got me uh, some cool behind the scenes tours over the past 10 to 20 years. Uh, Visits to maintenance hangars during night shifts. Um, You can have fun, but make sure you don't break anything. Uh, Being allowed onto training flights on Airbus aircraft or having a barbecue with the airport's fire brigade. All fantastic memories. Uh, The best, last but not least, are my friends from Munich. Amongst them, my oldest friend and two professional pilots, one of whom is an A350 captain. The three guys allowed me to join them uh, them in 2017 to embark on a trip along the northwest coast of the U.S., all the way up to Alaska and back with two GA aircraft. The chap I flew, flew most of the legs with is also a CFII and was confident enough to give me a lesson on each segment to fly the C-182T under his supervision. So in the end, I got to fly with my own hands and feet, stick and rudder, which is the most amazing experience right after the birth of my son. I might not have done so bad as they promised to include me in their next trip whenever COVID and the gods of aviation will allow. That's all for now. Thanks for having us part, part of me. Of, uh, sorry, I'll read that again. That's all for now. Thanks for having me as part of your such a wonderful uh, community. Huge thanks for all the love and effort you guys put into the show. Always a pleasure. Greetings, tschüss, and bye-bye. Your friend Jan from Berlin.
Well, that was very nice, Jan. Thank was, you very it? much for some lovely words. And, uh, yes, yeah, some, some great experiences uh, that you had over the years. Absolutely fantastic. That, that's, that's quite, you know, get, getting to, to hold the controls and stuff is, that, that's very, I mean, I remember doing that with, uh, when we went to, am I allowed to say this, Armando, that, that I, I held the controls for a little while while we were up in the... Uh... Or have I now oh, got sure. to take that? Or have I got to take that out in 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 post, seeing as we're editing this week's show? Uh, <laughs> I, know, it was, I, I love it. I love it. You know, because obviously we've, we've all had the chance to read through um, the you know the stories that have been sent into us. And one of the things I like most is the fact that with most people, the whole aviation thing started at a really early age mm. when people were really young, which I think is really important. Yeah, as where in my case, uh, my any vague r- relation to aviation sort of started about eight years ago, which is nice. <laughs> you know, and, and listening to some of these uh, feedbacks that we've received, just like Jan's, I, I, I can only dream, you know, when you're talking about the golden age of aviation and BA and Pan Am and, and Clippers and 727s. I know nobody ever said that, but, you know, I think the 727 is such a classic airliner. People mm. that flew on 707s, that's why I got into aviation. My father got me into it. You know, my brother is in aviation. And it was just that, just this sort of quintessential poster on your wall, like one day I will be in the sky like like uh like those individuals and uh, i just love hearing some of these feedbacks and listening to some of these stories because it's just it takes me back to why i got into aviation yeah this is it and of course in lots of ways i mean obviously your career was uh you know sort of up to to this point obviously military based but uh i mean you are living many people's dreams at the moment you know literally taking people on holiday or taking them on their business trip or whatever with with what you're doing i mean it's quite a cool it's it's such a cool job isn't it really when you think about it yeah i think i think most of us that that do this whether you're a pilot cabin crew or or you know everybody on that airplane has a story and they have a reason for being there mm. and and it's just a a great thing to be part of that absolutely well, there Very we true. are. Thank you, Jan. Thank you. Great story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Really appreciate it. We've got more of those uh, coming up very soon. By all means, uh, although you can't enter the competition now, uh, do please feel free to send in your aviation stories in your life. We'd still love to share them with the audience because we want to use this as an opportunity really to sort of get to know uh, you, our listener. We want to hear what it is that you love about aviation and why you listen to the show. Loads of ways to do that. You can send us a WhatsApp voice message if you like by sending it to plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. The email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. You can also fill in the form on the website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. And in fact, Jenny earlier was watching the show through our webpage rather than through YouTube, which was uh, very, very cool. And actually, while I'm here, uh, let me do the social media links as well. Uh, search your Facebooks and Instagrams and Twitters for the handle plaintalkinguk, all as one world one word you'll find us all there yeah and don't forget as well as matt said if you send a picture an aviation related picture to that whatsapp number or email us it can be on the on the screen behind matt Mm, in the main studio yes Yes, actually while we're talking about that i should just stress that the picture that's up here at the moment uh he's he's very reliable it has to be said here it's the legend that is jonathan warner now that is a very stunning picture isn't it so is is it what so describe to me what this picture is That's a what, sorry? Buff. Buff. Yeah, that's a that's a B fifty two. I 
uh, I'm, I dare to say that he probably took that at Fairford. Yes, yes, no, no, that is correct. It's as I say, it's a, there's some stunning photographs there, really, isn't there? It's uh, uh, because the B fifty. I, I think he was saying actually that because uh, we ran a story last week, didn't we, where they were busy. Um the police were busy moving them on, and I think he was saying he was there. They were the, the police were there in force moving everyone on uh, today. So it's uh, there's sort of actually I think Jonathan seriously. Warner did say that he was after he took that picture he was heading to his love shack. Ha ha ha! See what he did there. See, this is where I wish I had like an APG style <laughs> soundboard. And that I could do some kind of whistling wind, or maybe I don't know what tumbleweed sounds like. Mm. But I, I you could see his, you could see his totally lost on John. He's like that, that uh, piece mm. of dead air tells you all you need to know. I think. Yeah, I think I think that the, the clues are there. To be honest with you, Carlos, I think you should take that into serious consideration. Neil Lamwood says I had to take a day off for that joke. Yeah, absolutely. You see what you did there? You're destroying the audience, Carlos. Oh. I've got to be honest. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Matt, you said you were going to edit the show, so there you go. Yeah, I may, I may have to fix that one in post. Um, <laughs> Insert a laugh track. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Lane Street, chat room. Oh, okay, hang on. Uh, I've, I, I've, lost, uh, I've lost the chat room, so you'll just have to read it for now. Uh, Lane Street uh, says, what, was he riding on his rock lobster? Oh, yes, I, yes. Yes, I, 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 I'm only aware of that song through Family Guy, weirdly. R- weirdly, not through <laughs> yeah. anything else. But anyway, there we go. Uh, this has got nothing to do with aviation, and unfortunately oh, it is dear. time to wrap up. So, uh... so yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us tonight, everyone who's watched the show, everyone who listens to the show as an audio podcast and downloads it, and a big thanks just to everyone who's joined us tonight. Thanks to all the hosts Thanks for coming back on, Nev and Armando. Great to have you back. And uh, that is it. So have a great weekend, everyone, whatever you're doing. From me, Carlos, here in the PTUK studio, home studio for me. From Matt in the master PTUK suite. From Nev in the NevTech studios. (laughs) And from Armando in his palatial Charlotte mansion. Have a great weekend. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.